Thank you for downloading this message from Roots Community Church. We pray that you are encouraged by the word. If you're looking for more information, please visit us at rccphoenix.com. Hey there, everybody. Pastor Matt here from Roots Community Church in Phoenix, Arizona, and I want to welcome you to this week's message. We're going to be starting a brand new series here at RCC on the subject of stewardship. In these first couple of weeks, we're going to look at the parable of the talents as our foundational passage when we get into these series of messages. Now, in the old English language, certain words meant certain things that they're different today. And let me give you a couple of examples. The old English word bill, in our current modern culture, we may look at Bill as the shortened version name of William. We may look at it as our light bill or our electric bill or, um, you know, amount of money we owe for a service as a bill that's been mailed to us. We also may look at it as something that eventually becomes a law, right? In legislature, they introduce bills and, and they talk about them and vote on them until they become law. But in the old English, the word bill actually means sword. Pretty funny, huh? The word rice. Now, we may look at this as a staple of every Polynesian meal that um, that I've come across over the last 25 years almost of being married to my beautiful wife. She's a Samoan. Um, but we look at this word rice as a food, but in the Old English, this word rice means powerful. The word brim, we may look at my hat here and say there's a brim on the hat, but in the Old English, the word brim was referring to the ocean. And the word awe is kind of the basis for our word of awesome or, you know, in reference to awe-inspiring. Like it's something that just kind of captivates you. If you saw a whale jump out of the ocean live and splash back into the water, it would be an awesome sight. It would just leave you kind of with that sense of awe. But in the Old English, this word awe actually meant fear or terror. And the reason I bring this up is because when we refer to the parable of the talents, that word talent is not in reference to special God-given abilities that are innate in us and given to us as gifts from birth, but the word talent is actually a measure of money. And in some translations, like the one we're going to read today, the New Living, it is, um, is kind of replaced with a bag of silver. So when we're talking about the parable of the talents, we're actually talking about a parable of how three servants of their master stewarded what they were given, and that was a talent, which was a bag of silver or a bag of money. So let's read Matthew 25, 14 through 29 and gain some context behind this and refresh us if we haven't read this particular passage in a while. Matthew 25, 14 through 29. Again, the kingdom of heaven can be illustrated by the story of a man going on a long trip. He called together his servants and entrusted his money to them while he was gone. He gave five bags of silver to one, two bags of silver to another, and one bag of silver to the last, dividing it in proportion to their abilities. He then left on his trip. The servant who received the five bags of silver began to invest the money and earned five more. The servant with two bags of silver also went to work and earned two more. 
But the servant who received the one bag of silver dug a hole in the ground and hid the master's money. After a long time, their master returned from his trip and called them to give an account of how they had used his money. The servant whom he had entrusted the five bags of silver came forward with five more and said, Master, you gave me five bags of silver to invest and I have earned five more. The master was full of praise. Well done, my good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in handling this small amount. So now I will give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. The servant who had received the two bags of silver came forward and said, Master, you gave me two bags of silver to invest, and I have earned two more. The master said, Well done, my good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in handling this small amount, so now I will give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. Then the servant with one bag of silver came and said, Master, I knew you were a harsh man harvesting crops you didn't plant and gathering crops you didn't cultivate. I was afraid I would lose your money, so I hid it in the earth. Look, here is your money back. But the master replied, you wicked and lazy servant. If you knew I harvested crops I didn't plant and gathered crops I didn't cultivate, why didn't you deposit my money in the bank? At least I could have gotten some interest on it. Then he ordered, Take the money from this servant and give it to the one with 10 bags of silver. To those who use well what they are given, even more will be given, and they will have an abundance. But from those who do nothing, even what little they have will be taken away. As you can see, this story is about far more than money. If when you're reading this passage, especially if you're here in the West and the United States, and the only thing that kind of grabs your attention is the amount of money and what people did with the money and how the money was multiplied and who got how much money, what what, what I want you to realize is that you're being impacted by the culture because our current American culture is wildly materialistic. And if that's what you saw in this story, you missed the bigger point. Is money an element of this story? Absolutely. But is there a greater lesson to be learned here than just what we're supposed to do with our money? Absolutely. This story ultimately points to stewardship. And stewardship is not directly connected to finances. Stewardship is... Uh, an all-encompassing, a has a greater depth than just financial stewardship. We have to steward everything we've been given. And during this series, we're going to go through several things that we need to be aware of that we are stewards of. A lot of people get their money, you know, from their job or from their work or whatever, and they think, that's mine, and I own it. Well, really, all of the good things in your life are ultimately blessings from God. And you may have participated in the work to to earn some of that money, but ultimately it has been given to you as a tool to steward properly in your life and for the betterment of the kingdom of God. Yes, you're supposed to take care of your family. Yes, you're supposed to um, take care of the things that you need. Yes, there's supposed to be abundance that is mentioned here in this story, but there is a greater principle at work here. 
and that is of stewardship. The master in this story was more concerned about how his people stewarded the money than the amount of the return. I want to draw your attention to three particular things that this story highlights that we are instructed to steward, and it's going to be the the first several weeks of our series here on stewardship. And that first one, and the, the first one is time. The second one is talent, your actual God-given abilities. And the third one is treasure, your time, your talent, and your treasure. We're going to only focus on one of these areas here today because of time, and we're going to focus on stewarding our time. The reason that this is really important to start with is because I want you to hear right up front the statistics that I found from 2022 and 2023 about how the average American spends their time. You can probably already guess where this is going, but let me read you off a couple of things here about uh, how we spend our time here in the United States. The average American spends two and a half hours per day on social media. Two and a half hours. The average American spends three hours per day watching television. The average American spends over 30 hours a week in front of screens. That's a time of entertainment. There's a lot of people who work on a laptop during the week and that's screen time, but they're not counting that. It's just screen time for entertainment. 30 hours a week. The average American has five hours of leisure time every single day. Not sleep, not work, not responsibilities, not where you have to go anywhere, but five hours of leisure time every day. And the last statistic that kind of jumped out at me is that the average American between ages 15 and 54, so most of the most of our adult and older teenage population, they read less than 10 minutes a day. Two and a half hours on social media, three hours watching television, over 30 hours a week entertaining themselves in front of screens, five hours a day available to them that they spend on leisure and spending less than 10 minutes a day reading. Why do we spend our time like this? Why is this how the average American spends their time? It's because our culture promotes personal pleasure over personal development. It promotes consumption over production. It promotes comfort over discipline. It uh, encourages artificial immediate gratification over organic delayed gratification. We are handed, every single person, but I'm talking to believers here, so, so you as a believer in Christ, you are handed 24 hours of raw material every day. It's time. The raw material of time is given to you 24 units of that, uh, 24 hour uh, units of that every single day. And I want to ask you, what do you do with your time? How do you steward the raw material of these 24 hours of time that's given to you every single day? If you look back and think, oh my goodness, I'm falling into that, the, those categories of an average American, um, then that's fair. But what are we supposed to be using our time on? 
What things are we supposed to be directing our time towards and using our time on? I want to look at just a handful of these things today. Um, and the first one, letter, letter A, if you're following along your notes, is work. Work. Now, I want to talk to the men first, and then I want to talk to the women. Our culture is promoting this idea that <clears throat> um, men need to kind of be more passive, take a back seat to things, let other people take the lead, that there's been this huge patriarchal oppression throughout, you know, history and, and these gender norms that people have been um, conforming to through all of human history are now wrong. And we have evolved in our thinking past this point where a man needs to work. And this generation, if you remember um, from the last series that we did on wisdom, we talked about some of the numbers that these that that this generation is uh, like spending on hours of work. Uh, most of them hate the forty-hour work week. They want to reduce it to thirty to thirty-two. Most of them are asking for sabbaticals, or there's a large point of a uh, part of um, I'm sorry portion of them from this particular generation that are asking for sabbaticals of work off work. Sometimes I'm not talking about a, a vacation or a day off. You know, like most people get in their forty-hour weeks. I'm talking about sabbaticals that range from a month off to a year off so that they can just go explore the world and find themselves. <clears throat> this idea of rejecting work but still demanding pay is a plague in our in the in the mental thought process of our culture. Men, I want to read to you three passages that I hope convict you into using your time for work. Proverbs 12, 11, a hard worker has plenty of food, but a person who chases fantasies has no sense. Proverbs 24, 23, work brings profit, but mere talk leads to poverty. I had a discussion actually this morning with someone who who said, man, I, I really admire this person that they were talking to because they said they were, they didn't announce that they were going to do something. They just launched this little side business that they had. And they said, man, I wanted to do something like that, but I have been talking about it for years. And I didn't even know that this is what this person wanted to do. And he just did it. And there was this conviction to say, man, I have been spending all this time talking about something, but now I've seen somebody just step out and do it and not talk about it until it was already launched and not tell everybody this is coming, this is coming, just do it. And there was a a conviction, but also a motivation to join in that. That's kind of a reflection of this passage that work brings profit, but mere, po mere talk leads to poverty. You can talk about something that you want to do, that you have an idea for, a business, a, a, a side hustle, something that you want to create a product of some nature. But if you only talk about it, it leads nowhere. You have to put in the work so that it will become profitable. It will become real. <clears throat> the last one, 1 Timothy 5, 8 in the NIV. Anyone who does not provide for their relatives, especially for their own household, has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. If you are someone who has a, if you're, if you're a young man, 
and you are someone who has a family or is wanting to have a family, you need to spend part of your time that you have every day working to provide for that family. And then let if you have anything left over, then take then outside the, the realm of your immediate family, then start taking care of the next level of your family as you are able to. This is not, um, uh, you know, an indictment against anyone who doesn't yet have enough money to, to care for their parents or grandparents. And it's also not permission for parents or grandparents to turn around and say, hey, I'm, I've reached a certain age and, you know, I'm, I can work, but I'm tired of it. It's your turn to take care of me. <clears throat> There's, I'm not talking about able-bodied people who are rejecting work. What I am saying is that there is a principle here for men to work and provide for their family. I told you uh, that I was going to talk to the men and to the women. So women, I want to, I have a passage here that I want to bring to you as well. I hear a lot of people, especially in the church, talk about being a Proverbs 31 woman. And uh, this is a great thing, is a great uh, the thing to uh, aspire to and try to become as a believer and a follower of Christ. But look at what the Proverbs 31 says about women. She finds wool and flax and busily spins it. She's like a merchant's ship bringing her food from afar. She gets up before dawn to prepare breakfast for her household and plan the day's work for her servant girls. She goes to inspect a field and buys it. With her earnings, she plants a vineyard. She is energetic and strong, a hard worker. Notice the reference here to, you know, you might look at this and, and I don't want you to take it exactly 100% literal, like you have to figure out uh, where to find wool and whatever flax is and then start spinning it somehow, like sewing it together. This is a, there is a greater point here to say you have a skill of some sort and you are supposed to use that skill to benefit the family, to possibly trade as as merchants would trade in the in the um uh, you know in the in the marketplace and then support the family in all of these ways and even if it's something that's not generating money immediately there needs to be a level of hard work that goes into caring for your family <clears throat> now because our culture is also is focused on materialism and because uh, the latest statistics say that there are millions and millions of unused vacation hours and time off in the in the workforce today because people want to continue working so much because they got to chase the money they got to get the bag they want to uh, pass up on days off because they, they are, they're chasing financial security or abundance or they want more and more and more because our culture is so materialistic in its focus. I need to say this to you. Telling you to work and work hard does not mean you kill yourself to get money. Proverbs warns us against that. It actually says those words, don't kill yourself trying to make money. Don't spend all your time re rejecting the relationships that you have um, and not paying attention to your marriage, not being there for your own children. Don't walk into uh, work thinking this is going to consume my entire life. It doesn't need to, but it has to be a part of it. The goal isn't to kill yourself, to work, um, to, to prove something to everyone else or to God. 
the goal is found in 1 Thessalonians 4, 11 through 12. Make it your goal to live a quiet life, minding your own business and working with your hands, just as we instructed you before. Then people who are not believers will respect the way you live, and you will not need to depend on others. Even in this passage, Paul is talking about working hard, you putting your hands to something, you tending to the things that you have been entrusted to steward, and then make sure that you're not, and let those things uh, uh, be excellent, and let those things be um, developed to the point where you don't need to, uh, to depend on other people, and those around you will be impressed by the way you live and respect the way you live so that ultimately when they come to you and, and befriend you, they're looking and examining your life, they can find that you are rooted in a relationship with God. <clears throat> the second thing that we need to be doing with our time to steward it correctly is we need to serve others. We need to serve others. I've, breaking, uh, I've bro- broken down the category of others into two separate units. The first unit of when we serve others is we serve other believers. Galatians 6, 10. Therefore, whenever we have the opportunity, we should do good to everyone, especially to those in the family of faith. Here in this one simple verse that Paul is talking to the believers in Galatia, he's saying that if you're going to prioritize helping somebody, you especially need to help those people who are other believers. They are in your, whether they're in your local congregation or not, they need to be the ones who you are focused on of your first for serving. Now, in today's day and age, we can look at it and say, you know, if I have to give my unsaved friend a ride to work and someone from church a ride to work, and they both got to be at different places on the opposite end of the city at the same time, it's too easy to get an Uber. It's too easy to call a friend or, or, or you know, um, find a way for someone else to, to, you know, take one of them so you can take the other one. Completely fine. But if there's a moment here Paul is saying, I want you to do good to every single person that you run into, but especially do good. Serve with your time the people of faith. That second group is the non-believers. And even as we are supposed to especially pay attention and do good to the people who are of the faith, we are not to neglect the unbelievers. Matthew 25, 34 through 40, Jesus himself gives us this direction. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you fed me. I was thirsty, and you gave me a drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me into your home. I was naked, and you gave me clothing. I was sick, and you cared for me. I was in prison, and you visited me. Then these righteous ones will reply, Lord, when did we ever see you hungry and feed you? or thirsty and give you something to drink, or a stranger and show you hospitality, or naked and give you clothing? When did we ever see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will say, I tell you the truth, when you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you were doing it to me. This is a reminder that even if someone is not of the faith, 
whether you find someone in need, whether you give a cold cup of water to someone who needs it, whether you give clothing or food to someone who is in need, when you do that, you are a believer and you're responding because the the love and commands of God have have overridden your own selfish desires. I'm not going to hoard everything to myself. I'm going to step out of that. I'm going to spend my time, not just my money, but yes, that might be a part of it. Not just my skill, that might be a part of it, but I'm going to invest my time in trying to help the needs of others. I heard a story of a man named Brian Anderson. Brian was uh, a little down on his luck with work. He was having some struggle um, trying to get some some consistent employment, and he was forced to go out and try to find day labor style work. And it was very messy work, right? It was kind of manual labor stuff. It was he wasn't you know working at home on a laptop like like some of us who are in corporate America have the privilege of doing, but. He was out and he was, uh, he did a job early one day and it was just a little job. It was short. It was over by um, kind of mid afternoon and he was paid and had to go home and he was on his way and he was driving home. He was very messy from the day work, uh, the day of work. You know, his shirt was torn. His, his, the pants he had on were work pants and were, and were very old. He had on some old kind of dingy work boots. And off in the distance, as he was driving home on the freeway, he saw a car with its hazard lights on and pulled off to the side. He thought, man, I've kind of been working a lot. And yeah, you know, I, I should probably just, I should probably just stop and help this person. He pulled over and as he got close to the car, he realized that they didn't just have a flat tire, but the tire absolutely shredded and it was down to the rim onto the ground. As he approached the car, he saw the window roll down and an elderly lady poke her head out the window and look at him kind of afraid with that look of, oh my goodness, are you here to help me or hurt me? He recognized it and stopped and said, "Uh, hello, ma'am, my name is Brian Anderson and I I saw you were on the side of the road with with needing some help with a tire. Can, Can I help you? I'm here to help. The lady took a large sigh of relief and said, oh, yes, I've been sitting here on the side of the freeway for two and a half hours and no one has stopped. No one took the time to stop and help me. Brian said, well, ma'am, if you'll just pop open the trunk, I'll pull your spare out and the jack to, to get it changed for you. And you can just stand over here safely off to the off to the side and I'll get it changed for you. And so she did as he requested. He couldn't get the jack under the the part, the easy part of the car to lift it up because the the rim was on the ground and it was so low that he couldn't angle the jack in correctly. So he had to crawl up under the car to find an area that was just tall enough for the jack to fit under. And when he did that, he was, as he was crawling and trying to move that jack around on the ground and underneath the, the, the metal of a hot car, he was cutting his hands a couple of times and they began to bleed. He tried to not make her feel bad and, and try to wipe it off on his jeans, but eventually as he was changing the tire, she recognized the, the, the stream of blood that was coming down his hand. After he changed it, he was very careful not to get any of the blood on her car or any of her equipment, and he put the, the rim in the, in the trunk and, and closed it up and said, ma'am, you're ready to go, and she said, 
Thank you so much. I don't know what I would have done. I don't know how long I would have sat here. <clears throat> I wasn't able to change the, the tire on my own. Uh, please, let me give you a little bit of money. Brian thought about it, and even though he really needed it because he, was, he didn't have a steady job, he said, you know what, ma'am? Um, no, that's okay. Um, just do me a favor. I first want you to hear me say, God bless you. And the second thing is that the next time that you see somebody in need or that you might be able to help, just help them and pay it forward. And when you do, just know that, um, just know that uh, Brian Anderson, just think of me. Just think of Brian Anderson, how, you know, he just said, God bless and pay it forward. And just remember me at that moment. And she wanted really badly to give him some money, but understood what he was trying to do. And so she said, well, I'll do that. And thank you, Brian Anderson. <clears throat> the woman got back in her car and, and went up to the freeway a couple, of, uh, a couple of exits and pulled off and decided she wanted to get her tire um, fixed right there at that moment. And so she pulled into the tire shop. They told her it would be a few hours because she didn't have an appointment. And just right off outside the the area where the, the tire shop was, was a little cafe. She said, no problem, I'll just go in there and relax and, and grab something to eat. You guys, I'll just come back in a few hours when the, when the tire is changed. And so she went in, and as she was walking from the tire shop over to the diner, she noticed that a storm was blowing in and it began to drizzle rain. She was able to make it inside before she got very wet at all, and she sat down and noticed that there was this waitress who was pregnant, very pregnant. She realized that after, when she came over to give her, her her drink and take her order, she asked her, how far along are you? And she said, I'm over eight months, eight and a half months pregnant, and I'm due here in just a few weeks. And the woman was just, the, 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 the elderly woman was just surprised that this woman working at eight and a half months pregnant, but also overhearing that someone else had called in that day and she now had to pick up the shift so that someone would be able to cover the restaurant. <clears throat> she had been working most of the day and it was getting later into the evening as as the they were waiting for, uh, as the young, the older lady was waiting for her tire to be uh, fixed at the shop and the woman's attitude was just remarkable. She was not down. She was not complaining. She saw her would kind of go off onto the side and kind of stretch her back because she was carrying things along with, a, you know, being eight and a half months pregnant. And the lady just would not um, have, have a bad attitude at all. And the, and the woman was just impressed. And she thought, man, if she's working at eight and a half months, she must really need the money. And so she even watched her as one of the, the patrons left after they paid and they left their phone on the table. They watched this pregnant woman, the, the waitress, grab the phone and go outside into the rain and flag down the person so they didn't lose their phone and came back in all wet and had to dry off her hair before she went back to waiting the tables. And um, the, the elderly woman was just so impressed. And then she thought, Brian Anderson... And this is a, an opportunity for me to pay, pay forward what he did for me. Let me help this woman. He wouldn't take the money, so let me give her a little bit. <clears throat> As she wrapped up her meal, it was only $10 or $15, and, and, um, and she paid, the, gave the waitress the money, the pregnant waitress, and she paid with a $100 bill. 
And the pregnant waitress said, okay, let me run and cash you out real quick, and I'll bring you back some change. And as she went around the corner, the elderly woman quickly got up and snuck out of the out of the restaurant. And when the pregnant waitress came back, she was surprised because she thought, oh, my goodness, this woman just left me this $85 tip. <clears throat> and she thought this has to be a mistake. Maybe she thought she gave me 20 bucks and, you know, and, and I would just keep the, you know, the five or $10 left over. Even that would be considered very generous, but man, she gave me a hundred dollars. And, and then she looked down on the table and there was this note written on a napkin and it said, I've watched you have a wonderful attitude the entire time I was here. I know what it's like to have children and here you are working this far along in your pregnancy. I just wanted to pay it forward and bless you today. I hope this helps. The lady thought, man, I get to keep this $85. This is just amazing. And she goes, I want to take this note home and show my husband. And then she picked up the napkin that had the note written on it, put it in her pocket. And as she did, she saw four more crisp $100 bills laying on the table. She could not believe that she had just been tipped almost $500. She began to cry and tell everybody else what had happened, and they were so happy for her because they knew that she did, in fact, need the money. And so she was just on cloud nine the rest of the day, and she, she wrapped up um, uh, the, her, her second shift and ran home. And, and when she got home, uh, it was kind of late at, at night, and her husband was laying down already, almost asleep, and she woke him up and said, hey, let me tell you what happened. And she showed him the note, and she showed him the almost $500 tip that she had gotten from that one woman, and they were so grateful, and they held hands together and prayed and said, Thank you, God, so much for providing for us. The woman said, I know you've been worried about getting these last few things that we need before the baby comes, but now because of this, God has blessed us to the point where this several hundred dollars right here can help us get all the rest of the things that we need before we bring our new child home. They both grinned and, again, talked about how good God was, gave each other a quick hug, and he laid down because he needed to go to work tomorrow. And he said, I love you, honey. And she leaned over and kissed him on the forehead and said, I love you too, Brian Anderson. You never know how things are going to work out. You never know the ripple effect, the outcome of you investing your time in serving other people. It may not be something that ever comes back to you as it did in this story with Brian Anderson, how he helped this woman and this woman helped this waitress and the waitress happened to be his wife. It may not come full circle like that for you, but there is going to be an end, a blessing that you have initiated because you spent your time investing it and stewarding it by serving other people. The third thing that we need to do quickly as we talk about stewarding our time is serving God. Psalm 19:14. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing to you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. You might hear that passage and say, well, what does that have to do with spending our time serving God? How much time do we use talking about other people, gossiping, 
thinking about uh, how jealous we are that someone has something or how much time do we allow envy to sit inside of us. All those things are wrong on their own account, but this, but the, the other thing that they do is they dominate and rob us of time because we spend time thinking about others, how unfair our predicament is, how unfair our life is, and I just wanna be them, or I wanna have what they have, or I wanna be in the position they're in. How much time have we wasted talking about other people or thinking about them in an envious fashion? The envy is wrong, the gossip is wrong, the talking about people behind their back, all of that is wrong, and we have plenty of scripture to back that uh, type of uh, stuff up, but. Also, we're wasting the time that we've been given. We're going to serve God with our time. We need to talk good about him to others. Talk about how good he has been to us. You can make a great use of your time bragging on Jesus. Mark 10, 45, for even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and give his life as a ransom for many. If we are people who are going to follow the example of Christ and we are going to serve him with our life, it is going to lead us into serving other people. And in doing so, we fulfill both areas of, of, that we're talking about today and properly investing and stewarding our time. <clears throat> the last thing I want to talk to you about, it might not be something you expect, but the last thing I that we can see in this story about we're supposed to be spending our time on is developing our potential. Developing our potential. If you're someone who loves steak... It does not appear anywhere for you. Someone has to go through the process of raising the cow, taking it to the butcher at the right time, correctly um, uh, um, parting out the meat, and then bringing it to the grocery store unless you work in farming. The majority of us don't, so that's what happens. There's not just an end product that we just get to walk up and take in our life. There's a process that happens before it. There are raw materials that we have been given. I heard it said like this one time. Um, God gives us wood in trees, but he didn't make a table and chairs. You have raw materials, abilities that God has given to you as referenced in this story that we just read earlier, the, the parable of the talents. There, is, there are raw abilities, raw materials, including time that has been given to you that you need to steward. So part of your time, stewarding your time correctly, needs to be given to develop out your potential. This means that I need to spend time improving my strengths. I need to limit my distractions that would eat up my time. I need to spend my time in learning and continuing to learn and improve in some areas. I need to spend my time refining my task, refining my ability, refining my gift, refining the raw materials that have been given to me and pursue true excellence. 
I talked to young men earlier, and I want to talk to you again. Do not take the bait from our culture that tries to lure you into making comfort, convenience, and pleasure your highest goal. Those things only satisfy this temporary, self-centered, give-me-what-I-want flesh. Our culture wants you to be a consumer. It incentivizes you as a consumer. It talks about the economy and the things that you can afford and, and upping you know, the amount of money that you can get. Why? So I can have a bigger place, a nicer bed, a nicer car, a nicer wardrobe so that I can continue to consume and give myself these nice things. But if you feel the temptation, which I'm sure you probably already do, if you feel the temptation just to turn into a permanent consumer, then after a while, you're not going to care what you consume. You're just going to want to ingest more. The culture will slowly shift what it gives you. It may change the ingredients and, and the things that it's giving you, but if it can convince you to not steward your time, just be focused on whatever you want, your primal, guttural instincts of, of, of your fleshly nature. If I can just sit there and try to consume whatever it is, easy access to, to sexual pleasure, to, to, uh, to addictive substances, to uh, doing what I want, someone else paying the bill so I can just sit here and watch Netflix all day, every day. I want to encourage you to reject it. Reject it. Move away from laziness. Do the work. Maximize your potential. Spend your time serving others, serving God, going to work, and developing your potential. This means that if you're a musician, spend time maximizing your craft, your instrument, or your voice. If you're an artist, spend time maximizing your technique. If you're an athlete, spend time maximizing your physical ability. If you're a teacher, spend time maximizing the effectiveness of your teaching lessons. If you're a business person, spend time maximizing your integrity and your profit so you can support the work of God and give to those who are in need. If you're a chef, spend time maximizing your menu, whatever your gift is is spend the time maximizing it. Re reject the distractions of our culture and honor God by maximizing what he's given you. Develop your potential. <clears throat> D.L. Moody is a famed pastor and founder of the Moody Bible Institute, and on his deathbed, he turned to his sons who were next to him, and he said these words, if God be your partner, make your plans large. And if you're going to make those plans large, you're going to try to take massive swings to make a massive difference in this world, not so that you will be known and build your legacy, but that you will be able to point people back to Christ with your life and the way that you live and your character and what you did with the raw materials of your life you're going to have to spend time, focused time, stewarding your time and your schedule correctly to maximize what you've been given. 
you know, in the parable of the talent story that we read just a few minutes ago, the last servant who was given one bag of silver hid it in the ground. When the master came back, what did he say to him? He said, well, I was afraid because I knew you were a harsh man. And I think he had a very wrong view of his master. His view of his master, who was investing in other people's crops and getting a portion of it as a return on his investment, investing in other people's business dealings, that he would get a return on that investment. Here he was investing in these other things that weren't really his, and he was, um, as an investor, receiving some of the profit that was that was uh, uh, due to those who had successful ventures. He thought the servant with one bag thought that his master was harsh when in fact he was shrewd. He was wise. And notice that the master did not recognize his fear. He didn't validate it. He didn't say anything about him being harsh or you had a wrong view of me or it's okay, you should have done this. No, he said, you are lazy. I want to encourage you to, after this message, look at your daily schedule. Look at your life. Look at what you're giving your time to. If you have a phone and you think, well, I haven't been scrolling hours on social media or watching three hours of television or 30 hours of uh, consuming 30 hours of screen time that's just entertainment purposes all week, uh, there's a feature on your phone that allows you to see just how much time you spend on that phone every day. If you see the number and you're shocked by it, there may be an opportunity here for you to improve on how you're stewarding your time. <clears throat> now, so what if I blow a couple of days? What if I blow a couple of weeks? What if I spend a month kind of just focusing on myself? What if it does take me a year to kind of get things straight? I just don't really want to focus on it. Um, I, there's a lot of people who, who live that way. But James 4, verse 14, has a warning for us. How do you know what your life will be like tomorrow? Your life is like the morning fog. It's here for a little while, and then it's gone. If you're a young person, maybe, I don't know, 21, you will only be 21 once. If you're an older person and you think, man, I've wasted so much time, there is grace and redemption waiting for you, but you must change the way that you're stewarding your approach to your time. If you're someone, I think all of us may know someone who, who died early, in our opinion, a young person who was in a car accident or someone who had a tragic illness and it claimed their life and we were just shocked by it. I think most people either have someone directly or know someone that that has happened to and just shook your head and thought, man, wow, they're gone way too soon. There is no guarantee for tomorrow. And that, the, uh, that message of stewardship that is in the parable of the talents ends with all three of those servants having to give an account for what they did during the time they were given. This leads me to the conclusion that we're going to have to give an account to our master for what we did with what he has given to us. And that includes how we used 
our time. I want to wrap up the message today with an excerpt from a poem called Only One Life, written by a Christian author, C.T. Studd. His, the three stanzas I want to leave you with go like this. Two little lines I heard one day, traveling along life's busy way, bringing conviction to my heart and from my mind would not depart. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life, yes, only one. Soon will its fleeting hours be done. Then in that day, my Lord, to meet and stand before his judgment seat. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Give me, Father, a purpose deep. In joy or sorrow, thy word to keep faithful and true, whatever the strife, pleasing thee in my daily life. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. I'm hoping as you listen to this and hear the the scriptures and the stories and the poems that are all here, that you will see that it's pointing you in one direction. That direction is stewardship. And I'm hoping that you'll take some time today or this week, whenever you're listening to this, and that you will take a good, hard, deep look at the things you're spending your time on because it is in limited supply. And once it has been spent, it cannot be recovered. And we will give an account for all of it when we finally see our glorious master face to face. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May his face shine upon you. May he be gracious to you and may he give you peace.